0: Section 5 of State of the Union Addresses, 1857-1860. through 1860. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ashna Morjani at offtoamazingplacesblog.wordpress.com. Section 5 of James Buchanan, December 18, 1859, Part 1. Fellow citizens of the Senate and House of Representatives, our deep and heartfelt gratitude is due to that almighty power which has bestowed upon us such varied and numerous blessings throughout the past year. The general health of the country has been excellent, our harvests have been unusually plentiful, and prosperity smiles throughout the land. Indeed, notwithstanding our demerits, we have much reason to believe, from the past events in our history, that we have enjoyed the special protection of divine providence ever since our origin as a nation. We have been exposed to many threatening and alarming difficulties in our progress, but on each successive occasion the impending cloud has been dissipated at the moment it appeared ready to burst upon our head and the danger to our institutions has passed away. May we ever be under the divine guidance and protection whilst it is the duty of the president from time to time to give to congress information of the state of the union i shall not refer in detail to the recent sad and bloody occurrences at harper's ferry still it is proper to observe that these events however bad and cruel in themselves derive their chief importance from the apprehension that they are but symptoms of an incurable disease in the public mind which may break out in still more dangerous outrages and terminate at last in an open war by the North to abolish slavery in the South. Whilst for myself I entertain no such apprehension, they ought to afford a solemn warning to us all to beware of the approach of danger. Our union is a stake of such inestimable value as to demand our constant and watchful vigilance for its preservation. In this view, let me implore my countrymen, North and South, to cultivate the ancient feelings of mutual forbearance and goodwill toward each other and strive to allay the demon spirit of sectional hatred and strife now alive in the land. This advice proceeds from the heart of an old public functionary whose service commenced in the last generation among the wise and conservative statesmen of that day, now nearly all passed away, and whose first and dearest earthly wish is to leave his country tranquil, prosperous, united, and powerful. We ought to reflect that in this age And especially in this country, there is an incessant flux and reflux of public opinion. Questions which in their day assumed a most threatening aspect have now nearly gone from the memory of men. They are volcanoes burnt out, and on the lava and ashes and squalid scorcia of old eruptions grow the peaceful olive, the cheering vine, and the sustaining corn. Such, in my opinion, will prove to be the fate of the present sectional excitement should those who wisely seek to apply the remedy continue always to confine their efforts within the pale of the constitution if this course be pursued the existing agitation on the subject of domestic slavery like everything human will have its day and give place to the other and less threatening controversies public opinion in this country is all-powerful and when it reaches a dangerous excess upon any question the good sense of the people will furnish the corrective and bring it back within safe limits still to hasten this auspicious result at the present crisis we ought to remember that every rational creature must be presumed to intend the natural consequences of his own teachings those who announce abstract doctrines subversive of the constitution and the union must not be surprised should their heated partisans advance one step further and attempt by violence to carry these doctrines into practical effects in this view of the subject it ought never to be forgotten that however great have been the political advantages resulting from the union to every portion of our common country these would all prove to be as nothing should the time ever arrive when they cannot be enjoyed without serious danger to the personal safety of the people of 15 members of the Confederacy. If the peace of the domestic fireside throughout these states should ever be invaded, if the mothers of families within this extensive region should not be able to to retire to rest at night without suffering dreadful apprehensions of what may be their own fate and that of their children before the morning, it would be vain to recount to such a people the political benefits which result to them from the union. Self-preservation is the first instinct of nature, and therefore any state of society in which the sword is all the time suspended over the heads of the people must at last become intolerable, but i indulge in no such gloomy forbearings on the contrary i firmly believe that the events at harper's ferry by causing the people to pause and reflect upon the possible peril to their cherished institutions will be the means under providence of allaying the existing excitement and preventing further outbreaks of a similar character they will resolve that the constitution and the union shall not be endangered by rash counsels knowing that should the silver cord be loosened or the golden bowl be broken at the fountain human power could never reunite the scattered and hostile fragments i cordially congratulate you upon the final settlement by the supreme court of the united states of the question of slavery in the territories which has presented an aspect so truly formidable at the commencement of my administration the right has been established of every citizen to take his property of any kind including slaves into the common territories belonging equally to all the states of the confederacy and to have it protected there under the federal constitution neither congress nor a territorial legislator nor any human power has any authority to annul or impair this vested right the supreme judicial tribunal of the country which is a coordinate branch of the government has sanctioned and affirmed these principles of constitutional law so manifestly just in themselves and so well calculated to promote peace and harmony among the states. It is a striking proof of the sense of justice which is inherent in our people that the property in slaves has never been disturbed to my knowledge in any of the territories. Even throughout the late troubles in Kansas, there has not been any attempt, as I am credibly informed, to interfere in a single instance with the right of the master. Had any such attempt been made, the judiciary would doubtless have afforded an adequate remedy should they fail to do this hereafter it will then be time enough to strengthen their hands by further legislation had it been decided that either congress or the territorial legislator possessed the power to annul or impair the right to property in slaves the evil would be intolerable in the latter event there would be a struggle for the majority of the members of the legislature at each successive election and the sacred rights of property held under the federal constitution would depend for the time being on the result the agitation would thus be rendered incessant while the territorial condition remained and its baneful influence would keep alive a dangerous excitement among the people of the several states Thus has the status of a territory during the immediate period from its first settlement until it shall become a state been irrevocably fixed by the final decision of the Supreme Court. Fortunate has this been for now the prosperity of the territories as well as the tranquility of the states. Now emigrants from the north and the south, the east and the west, will meet in the territories on a common platform, having brought with them that species of property best adapted, in their own opinion, to promote their welfare from natural causes the slavery question will in each case soon virtually settle itself and before the territory is prepared for admission as a state into the union this decision one way or the other will have been a foregone conclusion meanwhile the settlement of the new territory will proceed without serious interruption and its progress and prosperity will not be endangered or retarded by violent political struggles when in the progress of events the inhabitants of any territory shall have reached the number required to form a state they will then proceed in a regular manner and in the exercise of the rights of popular sovereignty to form a constitution preparatory to admission into the union after this has been done to employ the language of the kansas-nebraska act they shall be received into the union with or without slavery as their constitution may prescribe at the time of their admission. The sound principle has happily been recognized in some form or other by an almost unanimous vote of both houses of the last Congress. All lawful means at my command have been employed and shall continue to be employed to execute the laws against the African slave trade. After most careful and rigorous examination of our coasts and a thorough investigation of the subject, We have not been able to discover that any slaves have been imported into the United States except the cargo by the wanderer numbering between three and 400. Those engaged in this unlawful enterprise have been rigorously prosecuted, but not with as much success as their crimes have deserved. A number of them are still under prosecution. Our history proves that the Fathers of the Republic, in advance of all other nations, condemned the African slave trade. It was notwithstanding deemed expedient by the framers of the constitution to deprive congress of the power to prohibit the migration or importation of such persons as any of the states now existing shall think proper to admit prior to the year 1808. It will be seen that this restriction on the power of congress was confined to such states only as might think proper to admit the importation of slaves. It did not extend to other states or to the trade carried on abroad. Accordingly, we find that so early as the 22nd March 1794, Congress passed an act imposing severe penalties and punishments upon citizens and residents of the United States who should engage in this trade between foreign nations. The provisions of this act were extended and enforced by the Act of 10th May 1800. Again, the states themselves had a clear right to waive the constitutional privilege intended for their benefit and to prohibit by their own laws this trade at any time they thought proper previous to 1808. Several of them exercised this right before that period, and among them some containing the greatest number of slaves. This gave to Congress the immediate power to act in regard to all such states because they themselves had removed the constitutional barrier. Congress accordingly passed an act on 28 February, 1803 to prevent the importation of certain persons into certain states whereby the laws thereof their admission is prohibited. In this manner, the importation of African slaves into the United States was to a great extent prohibited, some years in advance of 1808. As the year 1808 approached, Congress determined not to suffer this trade to exist even for a single day after they had the power to abolish it. On the 2nd of March 1807, they passed an act to take effect from and after the first day of january 1808 prohibiting the importation of african slaves into the united states this was followed by subsequent acts of a similar character to which i need not specifically refer such were the principles and such the practice of our ancestors more than fifty years ago in regard to the african slave trade it did not occur to the revered patriots who had been delegates to the convention and afterwards became members of congress that in passing these laws they had violated the constitution which they had framed with so much care and deliberation. They supposed that to prohibit congress in express terms from exercising a specified power before an appointed day necessarily involved the right to exercise this power after that day had arrived. If this were not the case, the framers of the constitution had expended much labor in vain had they imagined that congress would possess no power to prohibit the trade either before or after eighteen o eight they would not have taken so much care to protect the states against the exercise of this power before that period nay more they would not have attached such vast importance to this provision as to have excluded it from the possibility of future repeal or amendment to which other portions of the constitution were exposed it would then have been wholly unnecessary to engraft on the fifth article of the constitution prescribing the mode of its own future amendment the proviso that no amendment which may be made prior to the year 1808 shall in any manner affect the provision in the constitution securing to the states the right to admit the importation of African slaves previous to that period. According to the adverse construction the clause itself on which so much care and discussion had been employed by the members of the convention was an absolute nullity from the beginning and all that has been since done under it a mere usurpation it was well and wise to confer this power on congress because had it been left to the states its efficient exercise would have been impossible in that event any one state could have effectually continued the trade not only for itself but for all the other slave states though never so much against their will and why because african slaves when once brought within the limits Of any one state in accordance with its laws cannot practically be excluded from any state where slavery exists and even if all the states had separately passed laws prohibiting the importation of slaves these laws would have failed of effect for want of a naval force to capture the slavers and to guard the coast such a force no state can employ in time of peace without the consent of congress these acts of congress it is believed have with very rare and insignificant expectations accomplished their purpose for a period of more than half a century there has been no perceptible addition to the number of our domestic slaves during this period their advancement in civilization has far surpassed that of any other portion of the african race the light and blessings of christianity have been extended to them and both their moral and physical condition has been greatly improved. Reopen the trade, and it would be difficult to determine whether the effects would be more deleterious on the interests of the master or on those of the native-born slave. Of the evils to the master, the one most to be dreaded would be the introduction of wild, heathen, and ignorant barbarians among the sober, orderly, and quiet slaves whose ancestors have been on the soil for several generations. This might tend to barbarize, demoralize, and exacerbate the whole mass and produce most deplorable consequences. The effect upon the existing slave would, if possible, be still more deplorable. At present, he is treated with kindness and humanity. He is well-fed, well-clothed, and not overworked. His condition is incomparably better than that of the coolies which modern nations of high civilization have employed as a substitute for African slaves both the philanthropy and the self-interests of the master have combined to produce this humane result but let this trade be opened and what will be the effect the same to a considerable extent as on a neighbouring islands, the only spot now on earth where the african slave trade is openly tolerated and this in defiance of solemn treaties with a power abundantly able at any moment to enforce their execution there the master intent upon present gain extorts from the slave as much labor as his physical powers are capable of enduring knowing that when death comes to his relief his place can be supplied at a price reduced to the lowest point by the competition of rival african slave traders should this ever be the case in our country which i do not deem possible the present useful character of the domestic institution wherein those too old and too young to work are provided for with care and humanity and those capable of labor are not overtasked would undergo an unfortunate change the feeling of reciprocal dependence and attachment which now exists between master and slave would be converted into a mutual distrust and hostility But we are obliged as a Christian and moral nation to consider what would be the effect upon unhappy Africa itself if we should reopen the slave trade. This would give the trade an impulse and extension which it never had, even in its palmiest days. The numerous victims required to supply it would convert the whole slave coast into a perfect pandemonium for which this country would be held responsible in the eyes of both God and man its petty tribes would then be constantly engaged in predatory wars against each other for the purpose of seizing slaves to supply the american market all hopes of african civilization would thus be ended on the other hand when a market for african slaves shall no longer be furnished in cuba and thus all the world be closed against the trade we may then indulge a reasonable hope for the gradual improvement of africa the chief motive of war among the tribes will cease whenever there is no longer any demand for slaves the resources of that fertile but miserable country may then be developed by the hand of industry and afford subjects for legitimate foreign and domestic commerce in this manner christianity and civilization may gradually penetrate the existing gloom the wisdom of the course pursued by this government toward China has been vindicated by the event. Whilst we sustain a neutral position in the war waged by Great Britain and France against the Chinese empire, our late minister in obedience to his instructions judiciously cooperated with the ministers of these powers in all peaceful measures to secure by treaty the just concessions demanded by the interests of foreign commerce. The result is that satisfactory treaties have been concluded with China by the respective ministers of the United States, Great Britain, France, and Russia. Our treaty or general convention of peace, amity, and commerce with that empire was concluded at Tianjin on the 18th June 1858 and was ratified by the President by and with the advice and consent of the Senate on the twenty first december following on the fifteenth december eighteen fifty eight john e ward a distinguished citizen of georgia was duly commissioned as envoy extraordinaire and minister plenipotentiary to china he left the united states for the place of his destination on the fifth of february eighteen fifty nine bearing with him the ratified copy of this treaty and arrived at shanghai on the twenty eighth may from thence he proceeded to Peking on the 16th June, but did not arrive in that city until the 27th July. According to the terms of the treaty, the ratifications were to be exchanged on or before the 18th June, 1859. This rendered impossible by reasons and events beyond his control, not necessary to detail, but still it is due to the Chinese authorities at Shanghai to state that they always assured him no advantage should be taken of the delay, and this pledge has been faithfully redeemed. On the arrival of Mr. Ward at Peking, he requested an audience of the emperor to present his letter of credence. This he did not obtain in consequence of his very proper refusal to submit to the humiliating ceremonies required by the etiquette of the strange people in approaching their sovereign. Nevertheless, the interviews on this question were conducted in the most friendly spirit, and with all due regard to his personal feelings and the honour of his country when a presentation to his majesty was found to be impossible the letter of credence from the president was received with peculiar honours by Liang, the emperor's prime minister and the second man in the empire to the emperor himself the ratifications of the treaty were afterwards on the sixteenth of august exchanged in proper form at pietsing as the exchange did not take place until after the day prescribed by the treaty it is deemed proper before its publication again to submit it to the Senate. It is but simple justice to the Chinese authorities to observe that throughout the whole transaction, they appear to have acted in good faith and in a friendly spirit towards the United States. It is true this has been done after their own peculiar fashion, but we ought to regard with a lenient eye the ancient customs of an empire dating back for thousands of years so far as this may be consistent with our own national honor. The conduct of our minister on the occasion has received my entire approbation. In order to carry out the spirit of this treaty and to give it full effect, it became necessary to conclude two supplemental conventions, the one for the adjustment and satisfaction of the claims of our citizen and the other to fix a tariff on imports and exports and to regulate the transitive duties and trade of our merchants with China. This duty was satisfactorily performed by our late minister these conventions bear date at shanghai on the eighth november eighteen fifty eight having considered in the light of binding agreement subsidiary to the principal treaty and to be carried into execution without delay they did not provide for formal ratification or exchange of ratifications by the contracting parties this was not deemed necessary by the chinese who are already proceeding in good faith to satisfy the claims of our citizens and it is hoped to carry out the other provisions of the conventions still i thought it was proper to submit them to the senate by which they were ratified on the third of march eighteen fifty nine the ratified copies however did not reach shanghai until the departure of our minister to peking and these conventions could not therefore be exchanged at the same time with the principal treaty no doubt is entertained that they will be ratified and exchanged by the chinese government should this be thought advisable but under the circumstances presented i shall consider them binding engagements from their date on both parties and cause them to be published as such for the information and guidance of our merchants trading with the chinese empire it affords me much satisfaction to inform you that all our difficulties with the republic of paraguay have been satisfactorily adjusted it happily did not become necessary to employ the force for this purpose which congress had placed at my command under the joint resolution of second june eighteen fifty eight on the contrary the president of that republic in friendly spirit acceded promptly to the just and reasonable demands of the government of the united states our commissioner arrived at Assumption, the capital of the republic on the twenty fifth of january eighteen fifty nine and left it on the seventeenth of february having in three weeks ably and successfully accomplished all the objects of his mission the treaties which he concluded will be immediately submitted to the senate in the view that the employment of other than peaceful means become necessary to obtain just satisfaction from paraguay a strong naval force was concentrated in the waters of the la plata to await contingencies whilst our commissioners sended the rivers to assumption the navy department is entitled to great credit for the promptness efficiency and economy with which this expedition was fitted out and conducted it consisted of nineteen armed vessels great and small carrying two hundred guns and two thousand five hundred men all under the command of the veteran and gallant Schubert, the entire expenses of the expedition have been defrayed out of the ordinary appropriations for the naval service except the sum of two hundred eighty nine thousand dollars applied to the purchase of seven of the steamers constituting a part of it under the authority of the naval appropriation act of the third march last it is believed that these steamers are worth more than their cost and they are all now usefully and actively employed in the naval service the appearance of so large a force fitted out in such a prompt manner in the far distant waters of the la plata and the admirable conduct of the officers and men employed in it have had a happy effect in favor of our country throughout all that remote portion of the world our relations with the great empires of France and Russia, as well as with other governments on the continent of Europe, unless we may accept that of Spain, happily continue to be of the most friendly character. In my last annual message, I presented a statement of the unsatisfactory condition of our relations with Spain, and I regret to say that this is not materially improved. Without special reference to other claims, even the Cuban claims, payment of which has been ably urged by our ministers, and in which more than a hundred of our citizens are directly interested remain unsatisfied notwithstanding both their justice and their amount one hundred twenty eight thousand six hundred thirty five dollars and fifty four cents has been recognized and ascertained by the spanish government itself i again recommend that an appropriation be made to be paid to the spanish government for the purpose of distribution among the claimants in the amistad case In common with two of my predecessors, I entertain no doubt that this is required by our treaty with Spain of the 27th October, 1795. The failure to discharge this obligation has been employed by the Cabinet of Madrid as a reason against the settlement of our claims. I need not repeat the arguments which I urged in my last annual message in favor of the acquisition of Cuba by fair purchase. My opinions on that measure remain unchanged. I therefore again invite the serious attention of Congress to this important subject. Without a recognition of this policy on their part, it will be almost impossible to institute negotiations with any reasonable prospect of success. Until a recent period, there was good reason to believe that I should be able to announce to you on the present occasion that our difficulties with Great Britain arising out of the Clayton and Bulwer Treaty have been finally adjusted in a manner alike honourable and satisfactory to both parties. From causes, however, which the British government had not anticipated, they have not yet completed treaty arrangements with the republics of Honduras and Nicaragua in pursuance of the understanding between the two governments. It is nevertheless confidently expected that this good work will ere long be accomplished whilst indulging the hope that no other subject remained which could disturb the good understanding of the two countries the question arising out of the adverse claims of the parties to the island of san juan under the oregon treaty of the fifteenth june eighteen forty six suddenly assumed a threatening prominence in order to prevent unfortunate collisions on that remote frontier the late secretary of state on the seventeenth july eighteen fifty five addressed a note to mr crampton then british minister at washington communicating to him a copy of the instructions which he mr marcy had given on the fourteenth july to governor Stevens of washington territory having a special reference to an apprehended conflict between our citizens and the british subjects on the island of san juan To prevent this, the governor was instructed that the officers of the territory should abstain from all acts on the disputed grounds which are calculated to provoke any conflicts so far as it can be done without implying a concession to the authorities of Great Britain of an exclusive right over the premises. The title ought to be settled before either party should attempt to exclude the other by force or exercise complete and exclusive sovereign rights within fairly disputed limits in acknowledging the receipt on the next day of mr marcy's note the british minister expressed his entire concurrence in the propriety of your course recommended to the governor of washington territory by your mr marcy's instructions to that officer and stating that he had lost no time in transmitting a copy of that document to the governor-general of british north america and has earnestly recommended to his excellency to take such measures as to him may appear best calculated to secure on the part of the british local authorities and the inhabitants of the neighbourhood of the line in question the exercise of the same spirit of forbearance which is inculcated by you mr marcy on the authorities and citizens of the united states thus matters remained upon the faith of this arrangement until the ninth july last when general harney paid a visit to the island he found upon its twenty-five american residents and their families and also an establishment of the hudson's bay company for the purpose of raising sheep a short time before his arrival one of these residents had shot an animal belonging to the company whilst trespassing upon his premises for which, however, he offered to pay twice its value, but that was refused. Soon after, the chief factor of the company at Victoria, Mr. Dale's son-in-law of Governor Douglas, came to the island in the British sloop of War Satellite and threatened to take this American, Mr. Cutler, by force to Victoria to answer for the trespass he had committed. The American seized his rifle and told Mr. Dale's if any such attempt was made, he would kill him upon the spot the affair then ended under these circumstances the american settlers presented a petition to the general through the united states inspector of customs mr hubbs to place a force upon the island to protect them from the indians as well as the oppressive interference of the authorities of the hudson's bay company at victoria with their rights as american citizens the general immediately responded to the petition and ordered captain george e pickett ninth infantry to establish his company on bellevue or san juan island on some suitable portion near the border at the southeastern extremity the order was promptly obeyed and a military post was established at the place designated the force was afterwards increased so that by the last return the whole number of troops then on the island amounted in the aggregate to six hundred ninety one men whilst i do not deem it proper on the present occasion to go further into the subject and discuss the weight which ought to be attached to the statements of the british colonial authorities contesting the accuracy of the information on which the gallant general acted it was due to him that i should thus present his own reasons For issuing the order to captain pickett from these it is quite clear his object was to prevent the british authorities on vancouver's island from exercising jurisdiction over american residents on the island of san juan as well as to protect them against the incursions of the indians much excitement prevailed for some time throughout that region and serious danger of collisions between the parties was apprehended the british had a large naval force in the vicinity and it is but an act of simple justice to the admiral on that station, to state that he wisely and discreetly forbore to commit any hostile act, but determined to refer the whole affair to his government and await their instructions. The aspect of the matter, in my opinion, demanded serious attention. It would have been a great calamity for both nations had they been precipitated into acts of hostility, not on the question of title to the island but merely concerning what should be its condition during the intervening period whilst the two governments might be employed in settling the question to which of them it belongs for this reason lieutenant general scott was dispatched on the seventeenth of september last to washington territory to take immediate command of the united states forces on the pacific coast should they deem this necessary the main object of his mission was to carry out the spirit of the precautionary arrangement by the late secretary of state and the british minister and thus preserve the peace and prevent collision between the british and american authorities pending the negotiations between the two governments entertaining no doubt of the validity of our title i need scarcely to add that in any event american citizens were to be placed on a footing at least as favorable as that of british subjects it being understood that captain pickett's company should remain on the island it is proper to observe that considering the distance from the scene of action and in ignorance of what might have transpired on the spot before the general's arrival it was necessary to leave much to his discretion I am happy to state the event has proven that this discretion could not have been entrusted to more competent hands. General Scott has recently returned from his mission, having successfully accomplished its objects, and there is no longer any good reason to apprehend a collision between the forces of the two countries during the pendency of the existing negotiations. I regret to inform you that there has been no improvement in the affairs of Mexico since my last annual message, and I am again obliged to ask the earnest attention of Congress to the unhappy condition of that republic. End of section 5.